brothers and sisters. Good morning to you. Good to be with you again on this amazing September 18th, Sunday, 2022. May the Lord's grace and peace be with your spirit as we continue in worship and the preaching and teaching of God's word to us. Today, coming from God's word uh, from through the Apostle Paul um, in one of his letters to the church in Corinth. This is our third week in our Roots series. We are, we are looking and holding tight, looking to and holding tight our Anabaptist Mennonite heritage while asking at the same time what that how that heritage speaks in our current context uh, of today. And this is the first of three Sundays dedicated to uh, the idea of reconciliation as the center of our work. And today, reconciliation as or and transformation, okay? Often when people are seeking to articulate or describe the status of relationships, the status of a relationship, this could be a relationship between two people. It could be a relationship uh, between a person and an organization. It could be a relationship between a person and perhaps even a church. Sometimes to describe that relationship, it's best to say, well, it's complicated, Okay, anyone know this? Especially with uh, the birth of Facebook back in the day, st uh, relationship status. You could like, you know, single, married, or it's complicated, that kind of thing. Uh, if someone were to ask me about my relationship with God, especially over the years, the decades, 4.5 decades to be exact, uh, if someone were to ask me about my relationship with God, I would often, I have and often reply, reply with that same phrase. Well, it's complicated. Growing up in the Catholic tradition, baptized as an infant alongside my twin brother Jason, and yes, we were the cutest twins being baptized on that day, uh, and attending Catholic Mass uh, every Sunday, uh, Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, I began to be taught and to understand who God is, was, and what salvation meant in that tradition. Now, what I was, what I caught, maybe not necessarily that's what I was taught, but what I caught was, be a good boy. Uh, do not do the things that you're not supposed to do. Whatever you do, don't make God mad. And God is pleased if you are kind, show respect, and love one another. Then, in my college years, years uh, where I, don't, I didn't think about God and faith much at all, there were, uh, these were the days of being, I would, I would call, asleep at the wheel as it relates to my complicated relationship with God. Just sort of coasting through life, not paying attention. And some of those days were really fun. College, college days, right? right? Then I had my uh, evangelical conversion to the faith at the tail end of my senior year, University of Northern Iowa, 1999. Uh, I found myself carrying... Caring, caring about my faith once more. I found myself being raised up in discipleship through a college ministry called The Navigators, through The Navigators. You've heard of this ministry, this college campus ministry? Uh, I, begin, I began for the first time to see God, faith, salvation in new ways. Um, it was here in this season that I discovered what is known as the Romans Road, the Romans Road to Salvation, a way to think or a way to understand salvation. And it's through the book of 
Romans, right? And it has these verses attached here. Uh, it's kind of small, my apologies. But uh, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all sinners are, uh, we are all sinners by nature and by choice. This is Romans Road. Then in Romans 6.23, we have received eternal life as a free gift. Okay, And then God demonstrated his love for us, even his enemies. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, we must trust and surrender to Jesus as Lord, Romans 10, okay? And then this assurance of salvation through Jesus, Romans 10 as well, 10, 13. The, Roman, the Romans road, a tool that I was introduced to early in my uh, years of following Jesus and used as an evangelistic tool when witnessing to others, though even back then, it felt as though maybe this approach was missing something. It felt to me, even back then, it, that it was missing something. As I progressed as a disciple, learning at that time more and more head knowledge about God, Jesus, and faith, and, and the faith, I was taught another way of understanding God, faith, and salvation, and how salvation happens. A whole theology surrounding a flower, a tulip. Uh, not really a flower, but a theology stemming from one of the reformers of the 16th century. And for those that caught the stemming, you're welcome. Uh, those uh, Last week, I shared this slide about John Calvin, who's in the center. He's one of the original reformers, a French theologian who wrote theology. And later, much later, something called five-point Calvinism was developed. John Calvin probably would have been uneasy with this acronym himself though it was developed nonetheless. And the navigators on the campus of you and I, they were called five-pointers. And I was being raised up, discipled into this understanding of the faith. And just, a, just to go through it real quick, T, total depravity. Through Adam and Eve's fall, every person is born sinful. There is nothing that is good in us. It means total depravity. You, unconditional election. God saves those he wishes. This has a concept of predestination, of God, God perhaps having his, his favor, his children. And then limited atonement, um, what actually happened on the cross. When I say the word atonement, what is happening there, okay? And Jesus died for the chosen only, not for all. Irresistible grace, God's grace is given freely. It cannot be earned or denied, irresistible. Perseverance of the saints, uh, those elected by God have full power to interpret the will of God. Some folks would say, uh, this is like once saved, always saved, though that's not actually in its origin. It's, it's more of this, have the full power to interpret the will of God. So I carried this understanding, learning from the likes of John Piper, Charles Spurgeon, Kevin DeYoung, among others, in those first extremely formative years in my newfound Protestant faith. Then, I became a Methodist youth pastor. Uh, a guy by the name of John Wesley gave me once again a new understanding of God, faith, and salvation. Not total depravity, okay, but his idea is that human beings are sinful without God, okay? Though God's provenient grace restores to humanity the freedom of will, okay? Freedom of will, right? God, uh, yeah, okay, 
So there's that. And then conditional election. God has chosen that all humanity be righteous by his grace, yet has called us to respond to that grace by exercising our God-restored human freedom as a condition for fulfilling that election, meaning God acts first. God acts first. Unlimited atonement. Uh, just as the effects of the atonement are freely available to those whom he has chosen, which includes all humanity, whosoever will. And then irresistible grace. God's grace is free and offered without merit. However, human beings are being granted the freedom by God and can refuse his grace. And then the finally, assurance and security. This is, there is a security in God's grace that allows us for assurance of salvation, but that security in relationship is, is in relationship to continued faithful, continued faithfulness. And we can still defiantly reject God. So, after three short years, I've already had a mixed bag of theology, eclectic and rich, super confusing at the time. All supported by scripture. What? All supported by an interpretation of scripture. In my relationship with, with God, things of the faith, well, you could say, complicated. <laughs> complicated. All right? Last Sunday, I asked the question, what is Christianity? Is it a set of beliefs, a spiritual experiences, a spiritual experience, or, and or forgiveness of sins? They're all a part of it. Though, for the Anabaptist, discipleship is a major and key component of what it means to follow Jesus, the one in whom we worship today as we gather. Last week's question, what is Christianity? This week's question, what is salvation? Reconciliation and transformation. And what, what do the Anabaptist Mennonites have to say about salvation and transformation? Now, how did I first brush up against this Anabaptist theology? First guy, you may have heard of him. His name is Michael Danner. Uh, you, uh, he discipled me for a good while uh, when I was doing ministry uh, with YFC. Uh, so that was my first brush uh, up uh, you know, with this Anabaptist way of understanding. Others, Bruxy Cavi, Greg Boyd, Shane Claiborne, uh, Brian Zahn, and even to some extent, Scott McKnight. If you haven't heard of these guys, well, the term of neo-Anabaptist would be a common term to describe who they are. And I've been widely influenced by their contributions to this theology. Okay? Uh, Neo-Anabaptists identify with Anabaptist heritage and are happy to be known as Anabaptists, though they have no historic or cultural links to any Anabaptist-related denomination. They're not brethren in Christ. They're not, they're not Mennonites. They're not Amish, right? Okay? No, there's no connection to the denomination. So if we if just want to look at very simplistic equation here, very simplistic, reconciliation, okay. We look at relationships divided by, I like that word divided by, conflict or sin, plus Jesus equals reconciliation. This is just a quick, just simple um, equation, okay. And I like this uh, because in this way, I think tools like the Romans Road or Tulip maybe fall short. Because in order for there to be reconciliation, there needed to be union, peace, harmony within a relationship between God and humanity in the first place. 
in the first place. Romans wrote in Tulip, don't hold uh, that there is something good and healthy and beautiful that first, uh, in the first place between humanity and God. It seems to me that the story starts in Genesis 3 with the fall of humanity. Uh, though the doctrine of original sin didn't come around until the 3rd century. St. Augustine, or Augustine, of Hippo, last week, was instrumental in this doctrine of original sin. And this was important to justify the need for uh, uh, infants to be baptized right away. The early church flourished without this doctrine because the story actually does start with union and peace and harmony with the creator and with one another. The Anabaptists, however, held to a belief that it's not, it's not enough to simply be baptized as an infant. It wasn't enough to be just part of a church. It wasn't enough to just grow up in a family who called themselves Christians. The Anabaptists of the 16th century believed that each person needs to make their own decision to accept God's grace and forgiveness and also an invitation towards obedience to Jesus. Obedience to Jesus' life and teachings. Once a confession of faith happens, then it's the believers who then would be baptized to mark their desire to live in response to that grace. Adam and Eve at this time, or um, at, sorry, Adam and Eve at, at one time lived in peace and harmony with God. So this is a return to that peace and harmony lived before the fall, a relationship with God reconciled. Reconciled. And that relationship was reconciled in and through Jesus. Reconciled in Jesus, who came and showed the world what God is actually like in flesh and blood. This gave the world a new view, a new understanding of what God is actually like, that God is actually good, God is actually loving, and God is actually full of mercy. Uh, to give you a picture of this, Jonathan Edwards wrote a sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, it was a sermon written by Jonathan Edwards, American theologian, preached in his own congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts, in June of 1741. This sermon was highly influential sermon of the Great Awakening. In the sermon, it emphasized God's wrath upon unbelievers after death to a very real, horrific, and fiery hell. It is the mere will of God, according to Edwards, that keeps wicked men from being overtaken by the devil and his demons and cast into the fiery furnace of hell. A quote from the book, or the sermon, like greedy, hungry lions, that is the demons, they see their prey and expect to have it, but are for the present moment kept back by God's hand. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, to contrast this idea, Brian Zahn, one of the Neo-Anabaptists, wrote Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God. You see the twist. What sinners need 
is, a, is love and healing, not torture and death. We are, worthy, we are worthy of God's love and healing, not on the basis of personal merit, but because of the image we bear. The very image of God, original blessing, is more original than original sin. So what then does it mean to be saved? Mennonite historian C. Arnold Snyder says it this way, In my view, the heart and soul of the Anabaptist movement is found in its understanding of salvation. For Anabaptists, reconciliation and transformation were the same sandwich. Here we're back to peanut butter and jelly. You needed both. You needed both. For one cannot be spiritually transformed without reconciliation with God. And reconciliation with God is in serious question if there is not an ensuing transformation of life. This transformation would not be in spirit alone, but in heart, thought, and deed. This work of the Holy Spirit, people who are reconciled with God are reborn, regenerated, and become new persons. And this is the essence of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. Brothers and sisters, transformation is the result. It's the output of a reconciled life. In this reconciled life, it's beneficial not for the individual alone in a vertical relationship with God, but it's beneficial also to the horizontal in our relationships with one another. This happened to me in 1999. There was Eric before salvation, and then there's the Eric in my being, born again, much different. It was a 180 turn, because I don't sin anymore. Still, I do, many times. So you may have seen this piece of art called Born Again from artist Dean Kermit Allison, 1986, one year, one year after the last, Bears, the last Bears Super Bowl. That's how long ago it was. So Dean Kermit Allison had this sculpture called Born Again. The first time I saw it, saw this piece of art on the poster, underneath it had 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 on it. This was a piece of Christian art that really, truly spoke to me. Because in this, oh, can we go back? Sorry, yeah, there you go. Because in this art, what do I see? I see the whole person. I see full embodiment. It's not just soul and spirit. The whole person is being transformed. Mind, body, and heart. In those early days of following Jesus, Eric, um, after my um, confession of faith, and the friends I used to hang with, when that happened, like people literally told me, Eric, you look different. You look different. Bodily. Before Jesus, people had put their faith in the law. Pilgrim Marpeck, one of the er original Anabaptists, 
The law is not capable of changing the heart. Only God and gracious spirit can do that. The early Anabaptists, again, did not hold to a doctrine of original sin, which would mean that infant baptism was not necessary. They also didn't hold to any doctrine surrounding predestination either, along with some of the other Reformed folks. Salvation was indeed possible by the grace of God first, but they were adamant that people needed to respond to that invitation of grace and not just for the soul's sake, but for the whole person. As many of you know, I'm a, a fan of this tool uh, known as the Enneagram. These are nine personality types that show up in the world and really helps identify and understand why people are so, comp so very different from one another. Uh, these nine types are further divided into three centers of intelligence. It explains with the tool that we have a head intelligence, a mind intelligence, thinking, the IQ. We have a heart, emotional intelligence, which is the EQ, it's feelings. And then there's a body intelligence, the gut, GQ, which is the doing center of intelligence. With this model, there are three different ways of knowing in the world with these intelligence centers. And these are available to us at 100% of the time. The question is, are we tapping into all three centers or not? in the present moment. With the Anabaptist emphasis on salvation of the whole person, it's not just our soul or spirit. There is a complete transformation that takes place. Not all at once. Because it is indeed a journey. Borrowing and adapting Palmer Becker's um, model here, it's from Anabaptist Essential, this is a model here. I'm, ad I'm adapting it a little bit. When I was born, being created in the image of God, as were you, created in the image of God, there was a true self, an essence, an inner spirit. I was born with head, heart, gut, and spirit. Then I dirtied my first diaper. And I did things in, in my terrible twos. And I hit my brother too many times. And this is called sin. Then I went from that first picture to this reality where I was thinking for Eric, feeling for Eric, and doing for Eric. It was me, 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 ego-centric. The image of God in me was now marred. Now I am not who God has created me to be. And as I said last week, Eric was Lord. I was on the throne, looking out for me in all things. I adapted to the world and put on a false self. I put on a sinful self, a sinful nature, in order to gain love and affection, safety and security, and power and agency. Then I discovered this Jesus. I discovered a Jesus whom I had not met before. I had an invitation to repentance. It's what the Hebrews call teshuva. That is to turn. To have a 180 in my life that is to repent. Jesus invites us to repent, to leave behind the old patterns and habits that I used to live by, that we used to live by. 
death to that way of being is necessary. It needs to cease in order for there to be transformation. Jesus knows about this death. He modeled this death on the cross. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says this, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer li- uh, live for themselves, Eric, but for him who died for them and was raised again. A chapter before this, or no, no, this different book entirely, it's Ephesians chapter 4. It's a letter to the church in Ephesus, but from Paul. Ephesians 4 speaks to this. That, however, is not the way that you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with what? Your hands. Because it's with your hands that you steal things. Put off and put on. But must work doing something useful with your hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Next slide. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth doesn't mean silence. Be silent, but do what with your voice? But only that which is helpful to build others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What is that sealed? Sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling slander, along with every form of malice. Get rid of all of that. Put it off. Don't just sit there, idle, but do something else. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. This is a wonderful scripture regarding the nature of a life of a disciple, one who has experienced reconciliation, experienced salvation, and now is experiencing transformation. The new picture is now like this. It's thinking like Christ, feeling like Christ, doing like Christ. In this energizing spirit, this work of the transformation, it's not of our own energies and efforts. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Being born again is a new beginning. It's a chance to start over. Their early Anabaptists believed in true transformation of the whole person, that new creation is actually possible. But, that's fine. We could just end here, go home and be on our merry way. 
But the verses from Corinthians continue. All of this is from God, who reconciled to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The God who has reconciled the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us that same message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All week long, as I looked at this verse, these verses, the one thing jumped out at me all week. Not counting people's sins against them. This is a countercultural way of being in the world. Wouldn't you agree? It's countercultural. And I have to sit here and I have to wonder about myself. Do I do this? Do I hold people's sins against them? I can tell you that I certainly do if it's a sin against me. <laughs> right? If it's personal, if it's like something someone lied to me or, or stole from me or did something, kicked my puppy, you know, like I'm going to hold that. I really don't like dogs, but, you know, so, yeah, if it's a sin against me. But what do, how do I act towards others who, where there is sin? Perhaps it's un, uh, uh, unfaithfulness in a, mar- in a marital relationship. What about... Um, a teenage pregnancy? What about someone who has betrayed me? What about someone who has addictive behaviors? What about someone who has a criminal record? Do I hold sins against them? Do I hold them against me? The early believers stressed that this individual decision to follow Jesus um, they stress this individual following Jesus. Then in the, the, the era of Constantine, they ceased with this practice in, of, of inner transformation of the whole self and took, it took a back seat to expanding Christianity through, by way of force. Anabaptists in the 16th century were considered to be super evangelistic. Can you believe that? <laughs> Anabaptists in the 16th century were considered to be super evangelistic. This quote from Palmer Becker. Anabaptist missionary Leonard Bowen kept a diary in which he recorded the exact date and place of more than 10,000 baptisms he performed. Other Anabaptist preachers also numbered the converts they baptized in the thousands. This next slide is even, but even more impressive, was a witness of hundreds of ordinary men and women who were so filled with the life of Christ that their relatives, neighbors, and friends were convicted of sin and attracted to the overflowing, transformed life they saw in believers. My, have, how have, you know, times have changed, right? We live in a different age and different culture, don't we? Uh, I was going to ask for a show of hands. Uh, who had the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone this past week? 
Yes, thank you. My hand's not not up. I'm, my hand's not up. But awesome, Matt. That's great. Our witness, our witness has changed a bit, maybe. From word to service. From word to a peace witness, right? This is good. This is good, right? So as I just thought about ending this morning, um, we talked about roots and heritage. It kind of takes a, a while, so I apologize for the length. But as I thought about thinking about, you know, um, how to conclude, I just have two questions to hold. And this is this idea of reconciliation, and then which then leads to transformation. And, and the question is, what's transforming in you? Head, heart, body, spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit at work in this season in your life? Let's just hold this. encourage you to, um, even after the service is over, uh, find someone else in this church or on your way home in the car. Ask those questions to one another. What's transforming in you? Head, heart, gut, spirit. And the second question, how, when, where, and with whom are you inviting others into that same transformation? Let's prayerfully consider this. This is invitational. It's not a, you know, you need to, you know, do this. It's just, we just, we have to hold these questions. We have to live in response to what the scriptures have um encourage us with this morning. How, when, where, and with whom? Amen. So where is the Holy Spirit at work this season? It's time for our prayer and sharing time. Steve has the microphone. What's on your heart this morning? John? It's up here, Steve. Prayer request for Rod Schertz. Uh, Rod is a nephew of Sherry Rogers. Um, and uh, he and his wife, Jill, are requesting prayer. He's being treated uh, for an abdominal blood clot. Um, there has been improvement, so that's a praise. 
there is a procedure this morning even to further evaluate. So we pray for resolution of this clot and for healing and for wisdom for those taking care of them. We thank you. Thank God for improvement. If we hold Rod up in prayer, um, certainly glad for improvement in health, but then there's still work to be done there. So in your mercy, Lord. John? Yeah, I'd just like to ask for your continued prayers for Phil Fisher. Uh, he's out of the uh, nursing facility. He's back at home. Uh, still fairly limited. He came to the pantry yesterday. He was able to help with some tasks, but was unable to use the computer yet in terms of his stroke. And so uh, he's having a really tough time, and I'd ask your prayers for him. Prayers for strength of Phil as he uh, combats this uh, illness and um, give him strength so that he can return to more normal life. In your mercy, Lord. Anna? I talked to um, my mother-in-law, and we found out that um, Monday, this coming Monday, they will be talking to the surgeon and finding out um, what all needs to be done to take care of her little problem she's having. And um, so we just would like to ask for continued prayers for Mike's mom and dad and Mike because he's still having a little hard time with it. So just pray that everything goes well and that they can um, get rid of this uh, problem that our mother's having. We ask for prayers for Mike's mother and father as they go through this situation of uh, poor health. Be with them in your mercy, Lord, for our prayers. pray. God, help our church body to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have given us. Help us in all our interactions with one another to have humble and gentle hearts. Grant us patience for one another, bearing with one another in love. Grant the body of Christ unity. May we walk humbly with you, God, allowing you to show us our wrong. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're happy today to have Mary Raber with us for a moment in mission. She spoke out at the Heritage Center yesterday and I believe was at Mount Mennonite Church earlier this morning. She brings a wealth of experiences with her. Um, she spent, I believe, 20 years in the Ukraine in the Odessa area. Uh, so we just have an incredible amount of fascinating stories and a perspective that the rest of us would not be able to even comprehend. 
She's been a facilitator and a teacher throughout her life. We welcome you. Thanks for coming today. Thank you very much for this opportunity uh, and to receive me at the in the middle of your service and so on. Uh, I hope that what I have to say will be um, something that will uh, inspire you to continue to pray for the people of Ukraine and for the, the really difficult situation there. You know, even if the war ended this afternoon, I just don't know how all the pieces are going to be put back together. You know, it's 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 a it's really a desperate a desperate situation. But for many weeks following the this particular phase of the Russian invasion, which took place on February 24th uh, of this year, uh, news about the war has been in the headlines. At the very beginning, it was you could hear something about Ukraine every single day, and you know, lots of pictures and so on. Now, seven months later seven months later, it has slowed quite a bit. You know, you still, you still hear about it, you know, you're following the war news a little bit, uh, but naturally other subjects have, have taken the place of that story. But one thing that never got much attention at all is the role played by ordinary people serving their neighbors in extreme need. And here I'm talking about uh, our friends who would be uh, understood the, the term would be the evangelical Christians uh, in, in Ukraine, uh, the Pentecostals, the Baptists. These are the people whom I know. Uh, other churches, other Christians are doing great work as well, but I, am, I can only tell you about the people whom I know. And remarkably, and this is what I see on my Facebook posts and you know, many of my friends and former students are involved in um, very daring ministries as people have opened up their homes and their churches, particularly to internal refugees. Now, by some estimates, there are at least a million Ukrainians, maybe more, who are out of their homes. They, they are refugees somewhere in the country. And that's not to say anything about the people who are in Poland or Hungary or anywhere else scattered across Europe. Um, church volunteers regularly, regularly prepare and distribute grocery packages to families who've lost everything. Uh, churches receive people um, and give them a place to sleep on mattresses. You know, some buildings have been transformed into temporary shelters for people on their way, on their way west. This summer, believe it or not, there were any number of summer camps for children who have no homes to go back to. Churches have put on ministries for the children in their midst. Uh, churches also continue to minister to the elderly and the disabled in their own communities because, okay, you have these people coming from far away, you have the displaced people, but what about the people who have always been there and who continue to be in need of help and also who cannot run, who not, might not be able to go uh, any, any further? One of the big problems, especially in the east right now, is securing a safe water supply. The uh, infrastructure has been damaged. A lot of it wasn't very good anyway. Uh, and it especially as the winter approaches, what, what will people do? And I'm aware of at least one church that has deepened a well that was on, on their property, and they have installed 
water purification equipment and they're hoping that that will be a resource for that entire neighborhood where, where people are still living many pastors and young people have taken on the dangerous job of bringing supplies and water to civilians whose homes are threatened by the war along a front line that stretches nearly a thousand miles in the east they also help those who wish to evacuate and to find a new address further away from the fighting as winter approaches that task is becoming more urgent and also, as is not too difficult to imagine, it's not easy to get people to move, even if they don't exactly have a roof over their heads. Uh, maybe their house in their village is all they have. Maybe they still have farm animals that they're um, living off of. And so one of the tasks is to try to get people to move. One pastor compared it to removing a tree by the roots and planting it somewhere else. And it might be difficult to make it take in another place. But soon enough, it will be all but impossible to live where many people are now, especially as winter comes. And there are places where churches are busy um, sort of um, equipping dormitories where people would be able to spend the winter. And of particular c concern is uh, heating and collecting you know, fuel oil and um, other things that will keep enable people to stay warm this winter. So... I would invite you to pray for the relief efforts, and if you are in a position to help financially, I recommend taking a look at the Mennonite Central Committee website where its activity in Ukraine is highlighted. MCC is presently active in many ministries uh, of this kind, of, of relief for um, people in trouble right now, through their many partners. MCC right now, the, the, uh, the staff is scattered. They're all working online. Uh, they, they no longer have a, a single office. But everybody learned to do that during the pandemic anyway, so it doesn't seem to be that much of a search. But they are in touch with many longtime partners who have been working with um, threatened or, or at-risk members of the community for a long time. And these are, these are competent, reliable people who are doing very, very good work. They've been helping their neighbors for many years. I'm particularly glad that lately I'm aware of shipments of material aid from North America that have come to Europe, to Ukraine. And I thank you for your participation in those efforts to get the comforters, to get the school kits, to get the, uh, the family kits, the hygiene kits, and uh, especially the um, canned meat. Is a, is a great boon. That will help many people. And I remember that myself from the 1990s. And you can't imagine what gifts those actually are. You, know, you, you sort of treat them as a sideline. But those are, those are very, very precious things to give and do. Now, having said that, we know that the assistance we bring is distressingly small against the backdrop of need. And yet I am convinced that these church people serving in any way they can also carry with them the presence of Christ. And I'd like to read to you 